Welcome to What's Left to Do. I'm your host, Janelle. This week's guest is another Bernie campaign alum from 2020. I would also like to mention that Marco is my Chicano male doppelganger, which is another way of saying he he really ain't got good sense. Marco has spent just about all of his life in Southern California. First, as a child navigating the good and not so good of being raised by a single mother, and now as a grown-ass man navigating the world of politics, which at the moment means getting kids out of cages. Today, What's Left to Do continues uh, the beginnings of its tour day pod, if you will. We are still on location in Southern California. Is this technically San Diego? It is. In San Diego. And today we have another uh, another Bernie journeyman that I was put in touch with by the Claire Lau. Uh, we've got Marco in the house. Say what's up, Marco. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. Just so everyone knows, because obviously there's no um, video going on, Marco has a stunning head of hair that makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I'm jealous, but... It is my only trait. Okay. (laughs) Definitely. Josh, if you're listening, um, you had the throne for most gorgeous head of hair, but um, Marco took that from you, so deal with that. I'm a little upset that there was a question about it, but... There was absolutely a question about it. I don't know what I thought your hair was going to look like, but I did not think it was going to look like that. Mm. And um, I'm still wrestling with my feelings about it. Well, now Claire needs to tell people next time. That's right. Here's His name is Marco. Stunning head of hair. Hair model in case, you know, things ever like change. Marco with the good hair. Marco, I don't have time. Um, So (laughs) Marco's ignorant like me so this is going to be ridiculous that's fine i told you we were the same brand that's that's correct um so marco you remind me again because in the flurry of like introductions of like who is who and did what claire told me what you did but i don't remember were you are were you san diego's claire like were you the yes at the end when claire was actually the top person at the office in the bay area that Mm -hmm. was the equivalent that's what we were we were the area directors for our respective areas and so i managed san diego and imperial county Mm -hmm. so that had all of our congressional districts within that boundary Mm -hmm. uh but one of the uh six areas this was the sixth the the lowest down so uh, geographically that Mm -hmm. is uh but we held it down and we won all our all of our targets so right on so how many how many congressional districts down here did did you the 51st the 52nd the uh 53rd and then there's also a portion of the 49th uh congressional district which i think was the one that was a little bit tighter because it does include orange county and what have you but mm-hmm. we still performed pretty strong in all those okay so you met your targets you, you yeah. won all of those oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. california i think across the board you know we pretty much held our own there wasn't really uh an area where it was in dispute we won by a lot yeah, in a lot that's of these right. areas that's yeah right. it wasn't yeah, even yeah. close so in imperial valley where it was you know imperial county and uh you know you got calexico 
and all the areas in between brawley all those areas bernie won resoundingly right on um, because the mess originated and you know he put in the effort okay right on now when we were when we were coordinating to set up you told me a little bit about you gave me a little bit of background about this area but can you tell me again explain to us like what like what the composition of this community is just because i think that's fascinating um and then we'll then we'll get into um, yeah well i thought it would be cool to have it here what actually be this is city heights so it's referred to as mid-city it's literally the middle of geographically city of san diego and this is kind of one of the communities that historically was like the refugee settlement community. So we have a lot of Southeast Asian. We have a lot of East African mm. down the street right here. There's an Ethiopian coffee shop. One block the other way is a Vietnamese pho shop. Mm. Three blocks that way is a banh mi shop. Then there's a Thai Lao restaurant next door to that. Like it's just a melting pot right here. No pun intended. But, yeah. um, you know, it's just a really rich, you know, community with a lot of culture. We have about, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 30 different 35 different languages spoken in this neighborhood 80 wow. different dialects wow. like it's it's very diverse so you said this was a this was a community where historically uh, refugees were settled in so it was that's why like it was around like, the 70s yeah so okay. to my knowledge that's the way that it was explained to me by a couple of people that uh have shown me the way around here but uh yeah traditionally there was a lot of from the war-torn parts obviously so you mm -hmm. had a lot of vietnamese come here yeah, and there yeah. was the wars east africa yeah and so this was a place when folks resettled into california that this is where they, this is where they were they were assigned they were assigned yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. so okay. and so by virtue of that, this community is very rich in culture and you see it just walking around. So Right on. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're definitely not in the nicer parts of town with, you know, the the clean sidewalks and what have you. But I think that's just also a byproduct of what, you know, has been prioritized over time and what communities haven't. Huh. So I think it's symbolic in that way, too. Sure. We're not in the nice part of town. This is, you know, a part of town that working class people live in. So. Uh, uh, uh. And you've lived here for how long? I've actually been here for four years, but I grew up in a community very similar to this, but mostly a um, API and uh, Latino and then slight African-American community, which is down in San Isidro, mm -hmm. adjacent to the border, which is where I was raised, basically. Like, I grew up in that neighborhood. That is such a lovely smooth silky even transition so let's let's get into that because not I'm, not as uh the level of my hair but no no no. your hair is moisturized silky. but yeah. that transition was silky smooth. my man so uh, glow <laughs> yes yes <laughs> you get on my nerves already and i just met you 15 this minutes ago that's, fault. this is Claire's that's 100 percent it uh <laughs> but sandy cedar we were yeah yeah because yeah. and you don't have to answer this because no, no, it's no, none no. of my business but like yeah, T take us back to San Isidro because your hair is telling a story, but I would love to hear like how San Isidro. your parents Okay, this is met. not actually meant uh, as a joke here, but there was a time in San Isidro where a, a young lady, after I'd walked into what I thought was a barbershop, now a salon, mm -hmm. and I said, oop, never mind. And she said, no, I can still cut your hair. After looking at nope. my hair in short form, she said, you know, you should really let it grow from the back. And I'm like, well, like the entirety of my head? No, no, just the back. Excuse and me. And I said, uh, I'm sorry, just the back? She said, yeah, that's how all my uncles in Mexico have it. And she had dead ass suggested a mullet. So, no. No. yeah, that's San Isidro in a nutshell. Okay. So, you know, but uh, my origin story traces back to Los Angeles, as a uh -huh. matter of fact. I was actually born in the Valley. So oh, okay. I'm proud son of the 818, but uh, I'm actually raised by San Diego, and that's what I actually rep because okay. uh, I moved down here when we were two. We moved down here when we were two. We had family concentrated in Mexico. So uh -huh. my family is split from Tijuana and Sanada. Uh -huh. uh, 
But there was still half of our family in Mexico and then half of them this side. We're all Mexican. You're not somebody not black. See, this is what my mom keeps lying to me about. And I, you know, refuse to believe it. Um, you know, I've been lied to. I don't <laughs> want to put my DNA into one of these corporations. No, no, don't do that. But I'm claiming it. Ooh, let, ooh, let them give me a black card. Some, some, somebody was something. I'm just, I, I'm I just letting yeah, you know so that. There's got to be some. I got questions. Yeah, that's. I right. got questions. Okay. I mean, you know, not that it matters. We're but my mom had this hair, so you know, I got it from her then directly. Mama, the mama got something going on mm-hmm, then. Mm-hmm. Okay, we ain't got to talk about it. If it's, I mean, I'm not saying you. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's mama, a whole other episode. It's yeah, a whole other episode. But. That's right. Okay, so uh, you're secretly partially african mother gave birth to you in the valley your words not mine uh-huh. uh <laughs> but uh yes i was born in the valley and you know my parents split it was a uh not so actually not so uncommon mm. uh you know upbringing for a lot of people of color unfortunately mm. we you know uh, my How mom dad split. uh th- my mom and dad last spoke when she told him she was pregnant and oh, so shit. you know so that's the, it, it's my story i sure, ain't ashamed sure, sure. of it and you know people we've reconciled some stuff since sure. and uh, i've met my father and decent guy mm-hmm. uh but you know my mom grew up uh, i grew up with a single mom and mm-hmm. like that was challenging in its own ways sure it's was uh, he, is your dad latino as well yes okay absolutely okay. If that behavior didn't suggest it already yeah uh but <laughs> he said that not me yes um, absolutely. but also each of us are cancel proof so relax yourself <laughs> that's it that's it right there uh, <laughs> i'm wearing a burning shirt sorry yeah, that's, that's right. go ahead it's just sorry. my story <laughs> No, but, you know, like I said, I try to laugh a lot about, like, sure. the situations that, you know, oftentimes can be really challenging. Sure, there sure, is sure. stuff that I'm still dealing with as a consequence of that. But that's a part of growing up and admitting it and, sure. you know, addressing it. I sure. think that's how growth has been happening for me during a pandemic, no less. It's been a really sure. interesting time to, mm. to think. But, you know, so we left and we concentrated with my mom's family down here. Mm-hmm. And I grew up with a lot of cousins. Like, Were you the sibling, only child? I was the only child for her. Oh, okay. I came to find out later in life I have two fantastic half-brothers in the valley. Uh-huh. One is, uh, they're all four years apart. So if uh, one's about to be 30 and the other's about to be 26. And You're the oldest? The, I am the oldest. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. it went from being an only child my entire upbringing and all the stuff that brings with it to then eventually being someone's older brother, ah. which was incredibly intimidating. Yeah, but uh, sure. I've learned to embrace that brothers just love each other no matter what. Right and on. That's, that's been a really cool thing to realize, too. Nice. Uh, but so, yeah, I grew up with an only child, but like a lot of family, Latino families, you're never alone. I yeah, had yeah. cousins all over the place. Mm. I split time at my tias in the summers and we went to Mexico every weekend. So we had just- Every weekend? Every weekend to see the family in Mexico. My my grandmother and grandfather were both in Mexico, so it was just one of those things mm. where even over time, it's like the often in Latino cultures you see it's a lot of the women that are tasked with the burden of you know taking care of the parents yeah, in yeah. elder time, yeah. and that's just a lot of culture. Sadly, you know that the you know men need to step up sometimes. You know, yeah, they got to yeah, actually yeah. pick up some of the slack. Mm. Uh, and it was you know it was hard on my moms. They're my like my four moms, my mom and her three sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, they bore that burden, but you know, it was labor of love. And until my grandparents passed, we used to go damn near every weekend, huh. and it was just where the family would congregate, where sure. we would see each other. Sure. You know, where you built those bonds that are you did know it, the strong part. When you were a little, did it feel like in your mind the way did you, that you thought about it was it? I'm leaving the country to go see my family, or is it just like, no, we're taking a short drive to see Abuela? And- you know, yeah, that's mm-hmm. the, the weird thing. It was only ever a 15 minute drive, so it huh. didn't ever feel like you're traveling cross country, not until post 9 11, right? Uh-uh. Uh, but even then, there was just when you arrived, it was a different world uh, than the one that you inhibited every other day at school and with your friends and everybody you know. What was that difference like? It's Describe just you it. see the disparity and you know how 
the circumstances our parents came up in are just so drastically different than what we get. Mm. And uh, it breeds this kind of almost burden that, you know, you got to make good on that mm -hmm. because, you know, you see where your family came from. And, mm. you know, now we get the opportunity at self-determination. So it's 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 a heavy burden. But um. uh, but one that I've learned to kind of lean into. And mm. it's uh, it's a challenge, but it's, you know, it's a never ever evolving process that of, you know, accepting your your place of you know your destiny rather i'm sorry is what i'm trying to say it's mm -hmm. just you know fulfilling your own potential it's a really cool thing to come to describe for me the 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 burden that you that you just mentioned mm. as a child how, how yeah so yeah. just like a quick contrast is my grandmother went blind when she was 39 hey. and raised eight children hey yeah. Uh, and she used to feed these children on two dollars a day. Mm. And, you know, my grandfather was a taxi driver. Mm. And it was just this interesting mix when you hear the stories of how my grandmother used to cook with no vision. Hey. She used to feel her way around the kitchen and cut, chop up her tomatoes, chop up her potatoes and make these little stews that would feed all the kids in the neighborhood. Mm. You know, even the like cousins who were staying with her. She raised so many children. Sure. Uh, and so when you think about how your family came from that, fought their way here, mm -hmm. faced so many struggles. I can remember racist incidents that I didn't register as racist. I just figured some drunk guy was yelling at my mom mm -hmm. on 4th of July, but he was asking her what the fuck she was celebrating. Whoa. Yeah. You so, you remember that. Oh, yeah. I remember this drunk guy with, you know, in San bald, Diego. bald head in Ocean Beach, mm -hmm. uh, bald head and a goatee. And he's like towering over me at seven years old. Mm -hmm pointing his finger in my mom's face and asking her what the fuck she's celebrating. Wow. Like, and it was 4th of July. And wow. It was the same place we went every year. Wow. Uh, but like flip side of that, after that, I didn't even register that as kind of traumatic. I got very angry at that the older that I got. Mm. But that same day, I met another a white kid who was just like, hey, I see you got a can of Pogs. I got a can of Pogs. Mm -hmm. And we played Pogs for like three hours. <laughs> so, sure. you know, it's this weird place here in San Diego where you have that mix of like, there's still the deep-seated hate. Yeah. And there's still that um, that uh, that ingrained and, you know, just institutional racism here yeah. where just people just don't like you because of who you are. That's right. So that's like part of the burden too, coming back full circle to that is just like, you know, knowing that it's incumbent upon me to actually call that out and mm -hmm. say, hey, my mom took that mm -hmm. and didn't bat an eyelash, mm -hmm. which let me believe, A, that wasn't the first time it happened to ha, her, ha. or B, mm -hmm. that she couldn't defend herself in that moment. Sure. And that's why we do what we do. That's yeah, why that's we... Right. Keep your head down. Keep no, it it, we, you know, it, more than anything, it taught me to stand up for other people, you know, mm -hmm. like just give somebody else a voice. Like mm -hmm. that was, I think, the ethos of, uh, you know, the Bernie campaign, the yeah. not me us. Mm -hmm. I mean, that... That shit resonated. Like, it's it's truly how I try to live. It's just, you know, I don't need credit for any of this stuff. Like, let's get the people that are going through it up in front of the the microphone, in front of that's the people right. that need to hear it. That's right. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's the burden. It's it's a, it's a heavy thing to bear. And, you know, it's, a, it's one, though, that I think we all struggle with is what I'm finding is I talk to so many friends and colleagues and this bicultural thing is really hard. It, it is the absolute fucking cliche of the Selena movie where you're just not perfect in either culture mm. you know you're you have to know who is relevant in the other country while mm -hmm. you spend no time there and mm -hmm. you feel like you don't belong unless you do so hmm. it's a really weird like uh upbringing but again it shapes you in a different way and i think we're we're, we're some weird hybrid creatures how do you think it shaped you it made me really cognizant of you know my my privilege in a lot of respects but also just you know the desperate need for people like us to be seen and heard because it's just it's really sad how those people that should be representing us sometimes still don't actually do the work of the people and 
you know, there's still a lot of these heroes while people every day are breaking their back. And mm. so it's just this this really infuriating thing that could really make you upset unless you find channels to, you know, vent that. Mm, I see. What um what did your mom do for work growing up? My mom had I think uh, not not above a middle school education from Mexico, but mm. she somehow got into accounting. Numbers is her thing, oh, wow. which is incredibly funny because I am terrible at that. <laughs> so somehow that worked out for her. But mm -hmm. she fashioned herself a career out of the accounting um the accounting world. So she really likes numbers, likes making ledgers balance out, and mm. she found herself careers and was a professional woman. Right, used to wear high heels and mm. you know the, the the complete businesswoman outfit to work. Mm. And you know she never really made that much money doing it, but she was really proud of the work she did. Sure. And so you know I I I had to struggle with my own work ethic, and you know it was just challenging in different ways. But she's always been a really strong role model about you know what you need. You do what you got to do. Mm. You do what you got to do to get ahead and. Mm. Being raised by a single mom is just like a really a really good way to skip a lot of the machismo bullshit that I think I would have had with a dad. Ah, tell me what you mean by that. Oh, you know, it comes, oof, if you're a Latino, you know exactly what that means. The the homophobia, the uh, the just the severe lack of acknowledging people's emotions. Mm. You know, you don't ever talk about your emotions. You just move on and be a man about it. And I think that's not just a Latino thing, but that is a very, you know, common tenant in that. And it, it's hard. And I think for I see like a lot of my family members I love dearly, but we all struggle with a different capacity. Mm. They had, you know, very conservative fathers and, you know, they imparted certain kind of uh, ideology on them. And I'm not saying that it's better one way or the other. I just feel like I was able to at a younger age process things a little bit more freely without being too conflicted, you know, between a, a more uh open mind versus a more closed mind which is unfortunately in the latino community is the machismo thing you know machismo complex is real and like but do you mean but do you am i understanding that what you're saying am i understanding what you're saying to mean that you were able to you were able to be free of the burden of performing like a, a machismo some masculinity because you were raised by a single mother so you were yeah. able to like consider your feelings or other people's feelings and maybe respond to them and not just yeah. kind of you yeah know. and like the single mother complex obviously adds a different layer of being empathetic right you hmm. learn to gauge people's emotions because of the tensions at home what have you yeah. but i think yeah i the what i mean to say by that is i definitely feel less encumbered by like machismo i don't think it's a factor in the way that i think of things. you don't order your life around your ability to perform machismo right yeah uh -huh. so it's like you know if someone presents something to me and uh it it should be shocking to somebody well did you know he's gay or something like mm -hmm. that i'm just like okay so what's the shocking like right, right. okay like the sky you know, is blue Right, like that's just a fact. Okay, so what's the, the salacious part about right, it is right, I right. think, you know, something I feel like I get to skip out on sometimes hmm. because I just, I you know, I, I wasn't influenced that heavily. So I think that's a, a, a good byproduct of not having that in my life for a hmm. while. So Interesting. finding the silver lining of those things, you know. Okay. Did you, how would you just... How would you describe your uh, your understanding of like how you grew up? Like, did you think everybody more or less lived like you did, you and your family members? Or did you have a sense of like, there are some people who use summer as a verb and mm -hmm. we absolutely do not. Like, did you have a sense of like class? Yeah, growing up? absolutely. And that's the thing about being like hyper 
self-aware i think came from like that early childhood of having to grow up right like when there was a funeral i didn't get to get babysat because everybody was there and uh. so while other people's dads could take care of them or something i was at the funeral mm. just you know going through processing these very adult things mm. and you know being dragged along for a lot of those like your very intense family situations mm. people's health and so i think that really aged me quick in a way but i think also made me a lot more empathetic to those things happening later in life mm. and just you know uh it, yeah, I think the that experience alone. And what was the original question on that? Because I keep diverting. No, but, no, you're fine. Mm -hmm. um, did you have a sense of like class, your class yeah. standing, your family's gotcha, class gotcha. standing? Yeah. So the, what I meant by that is that like it was just it created this hyper self awareness about where my place was, and you know I didn't have the nicest things compared to other kids, and it didn't necessarily always bother me. But you were aware of it, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. You were aware that like when I would ask, but did if you? I could but were you aware of it in that like did you think your mom was just being unnecessarily cheap and stingy, or did you did you understand? that like we cannot afford luckily luckily you know she <laughs> later down in life you know things with economics being what they are tumbled and kind of went away but we were luckily never lacking for for a lot right mm -hmm. i was always fed and i was very fortunate we had a roof over our head until later when that changed mm -hmm. uh i think you know there's feelings to process with that mm -hmm. but uh yeah no luckily i had a pretty decently happy childhood but it was also one where i had to like just really grow up a lot really quick and, and it's it's it, you know not a it, it is what it was it mm -hmm. is my life it is how i got here and i appreciate it now in so. what ways did you do what did you have to grow up uh quickly i think i you alluded partially to like being having to as a as a result of being raised by a single mother you didn't always have the ability to like be separated from the adults and what they were processing, doing, involved with. Like you had to be present because that's you had to be with your mom. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying, like, uh, describe describe for me how how you understand you your your having to have grown up. Well, quickly. you know, I think I actually just I look at it retroactively only in the sense that like now it is still kind of who I am where I think I act like a broker to a lot of the things between my cousins uh, my family and mm -hmm. my aunts and the older folk mm -hmm. and trying to communicate and bridge those divides because uh, it's I see both perspectives where our parents yeah. you know they worry about us they do this and that but I have to explain to them how sometimes that might you know further hinder our mental health and mm -hmm. you know it's still a dance that I do with my family all the time, but I do it happily because, you know, it's again, it's a point of privilege and mm. kind of a duty now. I feel like, hey, it's upon me to tell them it's okay that one of us goes to therapy. Mm. It's okay that one of us takes medication. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean we're broken. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're all broken to whatever degree. Sure. Our families has gone through intensely, you know, traumatic stuff. But, but it's, but no, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, no. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's important to act that now that I know better, you do better. Right. So when I was mm. younger, I th thought those things were kind of a burden, but it allowed me to see that these things are existing forever. Grief has always been around, mm. you know, trauma has always been around for different people in my life. Mm. And so it makes me more empathetic to it, I think. And so when I say that it made me grow up fast, I think it, you know, it's a, it's, it's one of the reasons why I, I, you know, am able to connect with my family because you have a fuller perspective of where they've been. And, you know, it's not just because they're being mean, it's because some shit happened to them and they don't want to see it happen to you. You know, it's not my mom being a hard ass. It's her, having suffered some drama that mm. now she's trying to prevent from me going through, you know? Am I understanding you to say that you grew up, a lot of what uh, resulted in your having to grow up quickly was being aware of these different 
kind of family stories, dynamics, traumas, and trying to like understand them, being being present when they're being discussed or acted out or uh, remembered, and then trying to make sense of that yourself, and then maybe also trying to make a sense make sense of that or translate that to or get some better understanding for you and the people your your like cousins and such of your generation, like to try and like so that there could be some understanding cross generational. Is is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, I mean, I just see it for I think you know the younger people in our family mm. i think we've all experienced a lot like i said but so yeah i think it's a mixture of both while i was definitely younger i was absolutely aware that these things were weird for me to be in like uh. this was just i shouldn't have been to some of those things but it was also like because of that and being the only child i always found reasons to tell or give people the benefit of the doubt and mm -hmm. say well if it's here it's because we couldn't find a substitute you know very logically mm -hmm. like i have to be here uh. Uh, so that made me like learn, you know, you can't always get your way. And so mm. that's what I mean is like, you know, I wasn't coddled in that sense. Uh, um, I was very much like forced to grow up. Sure. You, know? you were sheltered from maybe some of the more um, adult or grown up aspects of the things going on around you. you yeah, that was huh. just thrust upon me for huh. sure, I think. Huh. And that was one of those things that uh, now I'm hyper aware of that, you know, that that is what caused me to grow up so fast but mm. in the moment yeah no I this was just life just right like, like yeah. hey i have to be here how now. do you how do you think you would have do you think you would have turned out differently had you been sheltered and in what ways if so yeah you know what it's it's like a mixed blessing right i have a lot of resentment that i was you know it comes with being raised by a single mom they do the best they can but yeah. sometimes you know you get disappointed and it's just a fact of life our yeah. parents aren't perfect and that's a lesson that i had to God. yeah and that's yeah. A, a lot of therapy thousands of dollars now has taught me you know <laughs> that you know we're all human and it's yeah, just yeah. like i get some empathy there but i also have to let validate my parts where you were let down and i was forced to do things that a child shouldn't and that's like you know, like you know uh just have to exist on my own for a while when mm. my mom would uh, you know want to do things for herself and like that, you mean like being a latchkey kid or well, yeah you know so there's just uh there's like a, a thing i don't mind talking about is just you know gambling in communities of color uh, is like a very destructive mm -hmm. uh a very destructive thing that you know grabs a hold of a lot of people and yep. so there's still resentments there and stuff mm -hmm. um but I love my mother and we, we, we work on it. And that's sure. a, the process is admitting that, you know, there must be there was parts of my upbringing that hurt and that were disappointments. But the, as a consequence of her gambling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. There was, you know, again, I alluded to that homelessness situation that we weren't. But, huh. you know, at one point we were because at, of how that. old were you? Uh, I was a teen at that point. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. So, you know, it was like a weird time to feel like I didn't have a place to be sure, for a second. Sure, you know? sure. Did you also end up extending um, ex resentment to other other family members for them not being able to like step in and like make her stop? You know what I mean? Well, and that was, I think, part of the problem is that the, the issue was, you know, a little spread out in the family. It wasn't just ah. like, you know, contained a few people. And mm -hmm. and. and Again, this is going back to, you know, making excuses for people or anything like that, but mm. giving benefit of the doubt is, again, I, I bring up that my mom, my cousin, my and her siblings were raised on two dollars a day. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. the idea of winning something someday yeah, and being yeah, able yeah. to call it quits. Yeah, I, I really couldn't tell you what it is. I'm luckily not, you know, a, a gambler, but um, I think just that idea and the, the idea and the lure of saying one day I can get out of what brought me here yeah. and their traumas and just be way better sure, off, I'm sure. sure, is the biggest allure, right? Sure. Uh, so, you know, again, not to cause it, but that I, you know, the allure was big to a lot of family members. And yeah, so there was yeah, resentment yeah. across the board for a lot of us, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I don't mean to speak for anybody else in my family. This is just my sure. my feeling on it. Sure. Um, but 
again, there's been reconciliation that happens mm. with that. There's, there's, you know, conversations to be had mm -hmm. and amends to make. And, yeah. you know, it, it's an ongoing process, but I'm now old enough, I think, to engage in it and uh, not really hide the resentment and say, you know what? This really fucking sucked. I got you. And, and it's good. It's the yeah. process of growing up and getting closer as a family. Yeah. And I think addressing those things allows us to move on so mm. do you do you do you think you have as an adult do you think you have issues around money as a result of how oh, you absolutely i go for broke every pay period what are you talking yeah! about what do you yeah, mean that's the way that we were raised and i think it's a terrible thing you know it's just you don't live with savings because you think you don't know how it's gonna how long it's gonna last it's all finite so mm -hmm. uh you know i, I absolutely have that issue i mm -hmm. think as a, pro, as, a, as a result but it's also because I, th I was brought up to think it, survival is the only method. So making sure. it paycheck to paycheck is the only way. Right. That is the um, goal. Yeah. And mm. then that's also part of the burden when you actually start, you know, actually a career and actually doing some, you know, movement building and stuff is that you start like, you know, you go from making an hourly 12 bucks an hour mm -hmm. to, you know, finally someone says, I'll give you 35 grand. Mm -hmm. You think you made it. Yeah. Right? yeah. And now you know how woefully underpaid that is for an organizer that's of right. any kind. It's just like, holy shit, how did I survive on that? Mm. But uh that's i think part of the burden is you know so many of our community and families are stuck on this you know hourly pay scale for generations yeah, 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 yeah. and so that's part of that burden that i keep alluding to is mm. you know having like the the ability to you know demand an earning mm -hmm. is uh is weird and then my educational background and lack thereof sometimes adds to that mm. i came through a non-traditional means into politics but we'll get to that yeah yeah, yeah. um mm. which then you know adds to the whole complex of existing in this ecosystem of politics and sure. again why the burning campaign was so alluring is that it wasn't about that they hired me knowing saying like holy shit we would love to work with you mm -hmm. you know like it wasn't like uh let's see what he how he measures up mm -hmm. it was my lived experience and everything that they were looking for so ah, that was nice to to find later in life so mm. did you uh did you enjoy school growing up no i was terrible at it i had a massive add as if the first 30 minutes of this haven't showed <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. No, and then so there was actually part of my upbringing was, you mm -hmm. know, my mom kind of trusted me with my schooling and I just I really dropped the ball on it. Meaning, what do you mean she trusted you with your schooling? She like, didn't know when report cards came out. You know, I oh. pretty much I hid that from her when mm -hmm. I knew damn well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I didn't graduate on time. I was very much just I realize now I was very afraid to get diagnosed for a learning disability because oh. I am very much. Well, and it, I don't know. that It, it was stigmatized. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you get, to get on medications. The only thing I knew how to survive was my personality. And they yeah. said, you take these pills that might change your personality. Mm -hmm. I was deadly afraid of that. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, so I never got diagnosed for anything. So I was, as a consequence, not a very good student growing up. But I would ditch classes to go to other classes. Huh. It was a very weird thing. And I did pick up a lot of what I actually did like. History was the other thing that always caught my attention. And mm. I would just light up. You know, mm. one of my English teachers read one of my essays on something. And she's like, you need to be in an AP class. I'm like, oh, no, that's not for kids like me. Thank you, though. <laughs> And she was like, no, really, you mm. know, like, I'll, I'll go to bat for you. And late, years later, she shared with me that the, the counselor was really like laughed her out of it. And yeah, she was yeah, like, yeah. I will take responsibility for this kid. Mm -mm. And sure shit, you know, I passed the AP test that year because, nice. you know, it was just somebody really kind of saw past the surface. Oh, this kid doesn't care. He doesn't pay attention. Mm -hmm. I only really saw that I'm just I was just really different the way that I learned. And mm. so it's a really interesting thing that now I try to, you know, be very cognizant of and try to promote people being aware that there's different work styles and there's different, you know, different learning styles that were not all standardized test mm -hmm. material, right? Mm -hmm. We all learn differently because mm -hmm. I don't feel intimidated walking into a room now with the most powerful politicians in the city or the hey! county or whatever. Uh -huh. I I know what I'm doing there yeah. and I feel like I belong even if I don't know the answers to what's being sure. talked about. Sure. Uh, you know, you know, our lived experience is, is worthy. So yeah, sure. That's a big part of that. Mm. So did you, when was 
Do you think it was because your mother was working so much um, that she wasn't like a super involved in your education? Yeah. And okay. that's, I think the thing is, you know, I think she, she trusted better. Right. We, mm. we had a, uh, and again, it's, it's, and maybe it's a, was it a little bit because maybe was it a little bit is this, was that because she, she had only had up to a middle school education. She didn't know. I feel like, like that's it. Right. Right. Then. Like okay. nobody okay. teaches her what to look out for, I for her you. kids education. And I so I, like, I don't fault her to a point. No, no, right? no, 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 and no, 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 no. But this is a part of the conversation, right? Sure. You, at some point I wish she, she would have intervened and made me do it right. Uh, you know, um, but that, you know, if you didn't know any better, I can't falter for that sure, you know sure, and that's sure. just again it's another example of the burden laid upon us is that no i know when I, my kids oh i'm going to be calling and pre-ordering my kids uh <laughs> my kids report cards because yeah no nah, yeah, nah, i'll get it two weeks ahead please that's i'll right. pre i'll prepay because <laughs> there's no way that i'm gonna let my kids do that just knowing sure. how important education is uh, now and how uh you know how, how it can let someone slip through the cracks if you don't just try you know uh, and you know and that's not to say my mom didn't try it's just more like the system also sure. that's supposed to be in place to help catch kids like me yeah it didn't you know i fell all the way through that crack and landed on my ass but when you uh, but was it when you the falling through that crack what was that was that just you got bad grades your nobody your... ever intervened with the fact that i skipped you know about a hundred and something no but, I said, but like what was happening before high school though i'm saying like what oh, yeah. was the situation i'm like elementary and middle school well you know what that's the thing so i did get tested and they put me on the you know gate i think was a big program down here in it was the gifted and talented Uh, education it was like a statewide program or something like that which meant i know how to do puzzles well according to that (laughs) test so i was like yeah all right yeah sure um but you know i knew that i was smart uh but it i always then doubted that because i didn't know how to actually apply that to book smarts Uh, so that was a big challenge for me growing up And something that now, again, I'm like, I, I, I carry my head, I hold my head high walking into rooms because I know what I'm doing, now, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. but it, it was a really circular way to get to where I did. Mm. So, but yeah, the, 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 the education system as it existed didn't really serve uh, students like me. And mm. that's just another, you know, another example of how underfunded these things are and how little we actually devote to actually educating kids instead of just churning them out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's uh you know and it's not a fault of the teachers you know i had some great teachers again that sure. really that really 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 kind of tried for me and mm. sometimes i didn't listen but you know years later i really appreciate the effort that those that did tried sure um but you know we need to do better for our kids we need to do better and people should be able to go to college and you know i thought there's no way my family will ever for college so i gave up on that really early really? which aided into that right like oh yeah well i'm not going to college it's fine um, were you 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 didn't think that was you didn't think that was on the cards for you because no one else in your because I couldn't see to... myself doing the work required of that because I didn't know how to do it right I'd never been able to study huh. I'd never uh, been able to do that and I'm like well there's no way that I'll be able to survive in that kind of environment because mm-hmm. nobody taught me right mm-hmm. and it, and then you know you, you you're a teenager you want to just have fun and do sure. what you think and you know I thought that's how I'm gonna get by it's a survival skill just. Mm-hmm. Being funny, learning to talk to people, that was a survival skill to mask whatever other things I felt insecure in, right? Mm. Um, how did your, how did your, like, your dazzling personality, how do you think that that helped you navigate life as a, as a adolescent or a teen? It's an absolute survival skill, right? And that's the thing about the self-awareness is that I know I'm good at this because I had to just learn how to deal with people to feel safe so that I could be like, what well, do you I want mean them, when you me. say that? You're saying like, on your way home from school, being able to chop it up with so and so over here. So my that best I don't... friends were Filipino, black, and uh, well, we didn't have any white kids in our crew. Mm. Nah, but it was yeah, it, it was just this like mix of like being able to go talk to my my Filipino's friend auntie, and then being able to tell Miss Ruby that I apologize for raiding her cabinets again. 
<laughs> well, I didn't ask for it. So it's like, yeah. you know, it, it was a matter of just being able to communicate with people in an authentic way, mm. however they're comfortable. Uh, it's not, you know, like code switching in the language sense. It was like, I've always talked like myself. Sure, sure, sure. But it's Context more, switching. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. More just like knowing your surroundings. And mm -hmm. again, it's a survival skill. So I knew sure. that, hey, this house, you know, the parent dynamic is a little different. And yeah. I got to be, you know, a little careful what I say around here. Yeah, what yeah, have yeah. you. So it you know it's uh it was a very interesting thing to grow up around mm -hmm, mm -hmm. grow up aware of too it's just a really interesting thing to know that like you you're capable of adapting to situations ah okay huh yeah, but it's a thing like i said it's aided me now and i think mm -hmm. that's why i'm able to you know do what we do is because you're able to communicate and connect authentically that's what organizers do right it's yeah, just that's right being able to hear listen to people and connect yeah so. What are some of your fondest memories growing up? Oh, man, there are so many. We had a really happy childhood. Every year we would actually go to Disneyland, you mm. know, family would get together. But we would do the whole like, you know, we're going to buy the birotes at the at the bread store. Mm -hmm. We're going to bring slices of bologna and cheese. Yeah. We're going to eat in the locker room style thing, yeah. which was totally fine with us. We're at yeah. Disneyland. We can give shit. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> but so, fun. you know, I had a really happy childhood in those regards. It's like our parents did really try to make, you know, a better future for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, but me and my cousin used to sit for hours and just kind of when the parents would go out for the night and leave us, you know, to kick it, we would just draw for hours and mm. it felt safe. You know, you got these like just moments with your brothers and it was just like family. I mean, that's why those bonds to this day are super strong because mm. we had a really happy childhood when we were together. Mm. So it's it's nice. It's nice to remember, you know, childhood isn't all bad. Mm -hmm. You know, there is fucked up shit that I think permeates all of our adult selves. Sure. But there's a lot of good that made me feel like you know i belonged somewhere that my family cared about sure. me and it's it's a nice family is very important i think you That's know right. it's important to feeling like you can heal from shit in mm. older age you know but it's important just to survive when yeah you're young, that's so. right did you when you how old were you when you had to deal with the bout of homelessness with your mom with the up? what the bout of homelessness with we your mom. were you know eight, eight, uh she went through the economic downturn she put our condo in 2008 uh i think it was right around there yeah how old were you at yeah, that yeah so it was like 18 19 so it was like right 2007 2006 so it was a little pre the bubble bursting mm -hmm. but it was still under like some challenging times sure. you know she'd gotten behind on she had bought a condo she you know fulfilled the american dream ah she, she was owned. this was this after like years of like putting away sacrifice like i'm yeah, working yeah, yeah. toward oh, yeah. this she was goal. so proud of it uh -huh. and everything and then she tried to get out of it and uh -huh. it just didn't work out yeah and yeah uh, you know, we got the sheriff's notice at the door saying you guys got to leave. Bye. But with, yeah. you know, and the Latino culture, I think, as it were, it was never like a we had to sleep in the car situation. There mm -hmm. was always going to be somebody's house, house to yeah. land on, a couch to land on. And yeah, that, yeah. that is what happened. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it, it. I don't fault anyone like the economic system. And then, you know, just just the idea of, you know, the American dream is so so morbid in some senses that yeah, you know you get indebted to these people and then your dream just goes away and you feel like you failed when yeah. in reality it was just hey it was a bad contract and yeah. it didn't go the way it was supposed to that's right and you know i know my mom probably carried some guilt about that and sure. i know you know older me now would definitely let you off the hook for that one because that is just a shitty that thing wasn't to have her to, fault no and it's yeah. just a shitty thing to have to tell your kid you're moving because you know they they couldn't yeah. catch up you yeah. know and so there's resentments there there's this there's that but again at the end of the day it's just uh, I, it you know it informed me a little bit better when people are struggling sure. that that technically meant you know we were homeless for a second yeah 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 um but you know i never felt like i was you know gonna be on the streets so that's gotcha. it's a different but you again that self-awareness i knew sure. what it meant sure did you during this whole time not necessarily just the the stretch of time where you were housing insecure with your mother but like 
growing up, like, would you, did you, did you understand your mother and or your family to be political or have a politic? No, okay. that's actually one thing that was like eerily absent from any of my upbringing. Hmm. It's because again, we were, we're an immigrant family. So, you know, my my family was never heavy into Mexican politics. I, mm-hmm. I didn't ever hear my grandpa bitching at the TV a couple of times about huh. how so-and-so was a crook. Uh-huh. Um, but by and large, nobody in my family talked about, you know, civics. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that, again, when I was in school and mm-hmm. I was learning about this, mm-hmm. that shit was all brand new. Ah. Like, I was like, oh, well, fuck, I have people Meaning represent me at these levels. Civics in terms of, like, the how the Just the government, formal... city government, I, I state, and then, you know, federal, and uh. Uh, just how many levers of power there are. Ah. Uh, once I became aware of that, I'm like, holy shit. Like, it was just fascinating, okay. right? Because you just, you didn't have, you, that wasn't discussed at home. Never not around the table. in our country. Like, none ah. of that. Our, my house was pretty apolitical. My mm-hmm. mom, you know, at the age of like 14, started asking me who she should vote for. Huh. Um, so, I voted since I was, you know, and my mom voted, to yeah, be sure, clear. Sure, I didn't sure, touch sure. her about what have you, you yeah, know. Yeah. But, um, you know, she trusted me because she didn't know. And she was like, I you're see. paying attention. Who, uh, who should I be uh, voting for? Uh, you know, and so it was a very, like, that wasn't burdensome. That was a real moment of pride for, you know, us nice. immigrant kids who have to translate the cable bill to also, you know, be called upon to be like, here's my civic duty. How do you help me do it? Uh, you know, it's a very big point of pride for a lot of us. I still get calls from my friends' moms during mm-hmm. midterms, during generals, during primaries and say, mijo, what am I doing? Uh, <laughs> and I love it. And, sure. and it's just, I, I take the time, no matter what I'm doing, I say, I got 10 minutes. Let's do this. Mm. Because, you know, they count on us. And again, it's 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 the burden, but like the good parts of it. Where I you're like, you. yeah, I do know better for my people. How, what were, what were the things that you were watching or reading when you were starting to like... Uh, I guess bone up on civics and levers of power and or politics like what were the things that you as an adolescent were like looking at in order to help inform your grown mother at 14 about again this is we've known each other for 45 minutes now but I'm gonna venture to say you were also an Animaniacs fan um yeah absolutely wow lower your voice Marco well I'm saying I didn't mean to come for you like that but (laughs) I just you know I had to be sure and I knew I was I said it with my chest I said it with my chest and I apologize but we all Animaniacs fans, and that's the kind of shit. I uh, I very much gorged on pop culture. I, uh-huh. I I knew who actors were. I knew who people were. Uh-huh. And then by proxy, you know, like, started being able to make the connections. If I watch CNN, oh, that's so-and-so. That's uh-huh. the Russian. Oh, that's the, you know, Tony Blair is such a great guy. Well, yeah, not so really. Yeah, yeah but right. when you're, like, 10, you're like, oh, yeah, he looks yeah. cool. He's on TV. So Real large ears. Yeah, but then you start getting some of the dynamics. And I remember, like, oh, shit, okay, the older that you got, you start paying attention. And mm-hmm. then... You know, it's still intimidating for someone like me who thought I was politically informed to get involved, actually. Uh-uh. You know, I got a job yeah. that actually required me to get involved on campaigns. Mm. And that was my first actual political exposure. I was 24. We'll get to that mm-hmm. go as we go forward. Mm. But, yeah, it's just it's wild how much you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so when you think of like what happened these last couple of elections, that was a big part of it is people don't pay attention. And sometimes I really just wish people would have heard Bernie's message a little uh, bit clearer. Mm. Because it 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 uh it resonated with a lot of young people and there was like power brokers when I worked in politics who were just like we're Hillary all the way and I'm like okay that's fine but like you know I just had dinner with like five friends who were apolitical prior to this and they said they're voting for the first time because of Bernie yeah that's I'm right. like we can't ignore that that's right I got told to take my tweet down huh you know and it was an interesting thing it wasn't like salacious and everything yeah he's like you know a public official I shouldn't be I shouldn't be interjecting mm-hmm. but you know it was just another example of like you know uh, that's a, those are the things that happen. Um, mm. 
So yeah, it's an interesting thing to grow up like very apolitical to then become hyper political. Nah. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting. Do you feel like I'm... an alien in your family because oh, of that? You know what? Then this is the thing. I have a couple older cousins who I looked up to a lot. Were very conscious about a lot of things. One of them was my cousin who's LGBT openly, mm-hmm. and that really solidified to me, you know, that homophobia in our family was really stupid because this is a person we all love and uh, care. Uh, that I'm like, anytime I get the chance to like say, hey guys, like let's be more tolerant of this or that or anybody mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. uh, not family or otherwise, it uh, it is something that, you know, was real and palpable to me. You mm-hmm. know? And that's one of those things that I, I very much, I have a sibling who is, right? And mm-hmm. so like, those are things that were no longer abstract to me. They were tangible things that i cared about they were mm-hmm. people i mm-hmm. cared about mm-hmm. so the issues became embodied in the people that you know yeah uh-huh, and so uh-huh. like luckily i did have a lot of those role models that really lived their truth which allowed me to think like why would i ever want to say something that would disparage this person yeah, and or right. alienate them yeah that's right so you know i was blessed with some of those like role models in my own family but uh yeah it was a very interesting upbringing to feel like you know the conscious one in the sense of like it wasn't better than anything. Those are my brothers and I love everyone, my sisters and everybody that's not political in my family. Mm-hmm. It's not singling anybody out. Sure. It's just anybody that doesn't have the time for it. I fucking get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Politics yeah, yeah. is exhausting mm-hmm. and it is incredibly grossing out. Like, it's just disgusting. Yeah. Um, it's gross. The things that they decide to split us up on. Yeah. And, um, right. Within my own family, we have healthy debates. And at the end of it, I end it every fucking time by reminding them. But I fucking love you guys. Yeah, that's right. And no matter what. We disagree passionately on yeah. xyz yeah but you are my brothers and i want us all to do better i'm not saying i'm smarter than you mm-hmm. i respect some of my cousins are the smartest people some of my you know friends are some of the smartest people but it's okay to disagree at the that's end of right. the day so long as you're doing it from a place of like trying to understand yeah that's right which is absent a lot now yeah so. that's unfortunately that's yeah that's yeah 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 we saw over the last couple of years so. mm-hmm. <laughs> right how do how were you looking out on life when you graduated high school like what did you think back like did you have you know, an idea of what you wanted to no, do no you know or? the thing is like for folks like us it was almost a resignation to be like cool well, i'm gonna work these hourly jobs until i figure something out right huh. and so like absent of like career planning and like for those of us that are a little bit differently abled and no senses of like learning mm-hmm. we kind of know we're up against a challenge mm-hmm. and you know it's just going to be one of those about like trying to figure it out mm-hmm. um and it was a little worrisome for sure, like knowing that, like shit, I might be stuck on this treadmill forever, right? Like, wait, wait, wait. So you you got to the end of high school. Did you uh-huh. did you have a guidance counselor of any nope. sort to? No, no, no. A couple okay. of people told me what I needed to do to get out of high school. Uh-huh. Um, but aside from that, nobody invested time in telling me what I should do after. So you were you were kind of left to you were still left to your own kind of educational mm-hmm. devices, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And you were like, ah, uh, okay, I'll get a job and and do yeah, some again, working. Again, I think yeah, I think part of like that whole being raised by a single mom and all that shit is you learn. Really Really good how to kind of avoid things and like uh, avoid landmines so uh, i knew that there was gonna be a tough conversation i ain't trying to have it yeah <laughs> so uh you know it was that avoidance and i think in retrospect i wish i could have you know now we all have you know that hindsight thing but i really wish i would have tried a little bit more for myself because uh, i'm just like learning that i'm like oh shit all these years of doubting myself and those things but, you know there's <laughs> a consequence of not knowing better but sure. like you know it's a good thing to come to because a lot of people don't a lot mm. of people are still stuck on that treadmill yeah, and they don't see right. a light at the end of the tunnel yeah you know, I'm lucky that I'm, you know, starting to see something like that. Mm. That's, I like that. Did you, so you, you, you did some community college or some state school? Yeah, like, what so was, I did some community college, uh, city college, Southwestern here in San Diego. Southwestern College is another district and mm-hmm. then city college. And I really just only signed up for the classes that I liked. Like, mm-hmm. again, I took all the poli sides back to back to back uh, and uh, like aced them. Mm-hmm. 
because that was a thing I did. But then again, go back to math, go back to these other things. Yeah. The humanities, I was pretty good at English. I like writing. I like being creative in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I just didn't feel up to par because I never learned how to study. I never uh, learned how to do a lot of these things that mm-hmm. kids were really good at. Sure. Uh, so I just kind of did it in fits and starts and thought, mm-hmm. well, I'll work and maybe eventually I'll get around to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but through that, one of the things that really kind of sparked my just imagination was we started an activism club at, mm. on campus. Mm. And we we started Beats, bringing education and uh, no, bringing education to advocacy together. It's mm. a beat, uh, the Beat Club. And so we uh, there's a couple of us now that are just one of us is a city council member in the city of National City in the municipality adjacent here. Nice. One of my buddies, Jose, shout out. Uh, and you know one of the guys is a cool muralist who's a fucking amazing philosopher buddy anthony who's up in uh, oxnard now mm. there's one of the guys is now one of the directors of organizing at a san diego organizing project which is kind of like a faith-based organizing group so mm. those are all the people that we found in that club with and we all just went on these different paths that came around people went on for their masters people mm. went on here well what that led me was one of my professors posted a posting for a job at one of the local labor councils which is like the union of the unions locally mm. And I went in there without a fucking prayer. The, the job I was at there was at a cable company. I was a customer service rep mm-hmm. where uh, the stories were hilarious. Mm-hmm. But I went in for an interview thinking there's no snowball's chance in hell. But I had nothing to lose. At the labor lose. council. Yeah, I uh-huh. got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed and, uh, you know, I left the interview thinking like, okay, that's cool. I interviewed one of my old bosses. Mm-hmm. Now, now one of my old bosses. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, he called me right back up. He said, hey, you, the, the big boss is here. She wants to meet you. You mind coming back up? Mm-hmm. So I rebutton my shirt like a reverse Superman. <laughs> and I get back up and I, you know, start doing another interview again. Just reset the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, my old boss now, who's now a state assembly woman, she's an incredible mm-hmm. role model, a mentor of mine, mm-hmm. Lorena Gonzalez. She uh, said, well, are you comfortable with awkward situations? And I said, just yesterday, an old lady asked me to read her porn titles. Uh, I'm, and I said, ma'am, to, it's, uh, it's, we're going to park right We're not going to go there. with it because, you know, she was like insistent. She said, what are they called? And I said, no, ma'am, they're adult pay-per-view. And she said, what Where were you where this old woman was asking you about porn titles? I was sitting at my desk answering customer service calls. And oh, this lady, at, your, at your job at the cable company? Yes. So she Got called you. me the day before I went into this interview and she said, uh, you know, read me the titles. And I said, ma'am, they're adult pay-per-view. And she said, read me the titles. I can't do it. Uh-huh. No, I was like one of those. I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. It and it was, was uh, like Debbie so, does So Dallas. needless to say, I told that boss, I was like, yeah, I'm pretty good with awkward situations. I oh, adapt. Gotcha. Again, survival <laughs> codes. You know, we know how to adapt. It's yeah, a survival right. skill for that's us. Right. You know, kids, uh, latchkey kids, all of us, you know, single mother kids, mm-hmm. all that. And, wait, so you took this job at the labor council while you were still at community college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and you it was in between in classes. School. So I didn't at that point because I was always again like my ADD mind made it seem like I got now I got to focus on this, right? Yeah, and yeah. I intend to go back. I still haven't. Spoiler alert again. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a thing now. It's like a point of pride. But I'm like, you know, I should for the sake of if I'm ever gonna argue with my kid about it, I gotta mm-hmm. at least have the credentials. That's right. Too. That's right. So uh, you know, it's a thing. I, I'm not worried about it now. I'm just like I know how capable I am. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of finding the the time mm-hmm. once you know COVID life everything thing just mm-hmm. kind of put some perspective on it mm-hmm. what did this union do or this labor council so the labor council was actually advocating for about at that time 135 different union about huh. 192 was an odd number but i remember it being uh-huh. that specific thousand mm-hmm. union members at that point Obviously 192 thousand union members so we represented that amalgam of people so all the affiliates to that and all their membership what, and were, everything. The, what were the sectors that these so this was everything unions? so a labor council usually across the state you know they're all hmm. under the afl-cio nationally and then you have your state 
councils and then you have your local labor councils and mm -hmm. those are the ones that represent all the local unions so uh, we have for example we had a coca-cola bottling plant here they had teamsters mm -hmm. so you got a lot of trucking folks in the teamsters 542 here mm -hmm. you got folks in the public sector that do county work where uh, i'm at now mm -hmm. and those are seau 221 members uh, you know and then you have the state workers at the downtown building mm -hmm. those are seau 1000 members uh, and so it's just this like collection of all those people then private and public private and public gotcha. unions yeah then you had like afge who was like the federal workers union which mm. is some border patrol and folks mm -hmm. you know you had this very diverse melting pot of membership of rank and file yeah and the leadership wasn't very reflective of that until recently mm. like labor here's you know been taking a tilt towards more more female mm -hmm. empowered and more uh people of color centric like yeah, because yeah. That, that is the membership makeup and yeah, so that's right. we're seeing that reflected slowly <laughs> that's but the surely. working class yeah that's right yeah, so yeah. we're seeing reflected slowly in san diego but it's yeah it was the thing where this place has always been a real big challenge for democrats to cement themselves we've had republican mayors for a couple times in a row we uh, got one bob filner and he went by the wayside because mm -hmm. he was you know he had his dramas and yeah what was the nature of your work at the labor, labor council pretty instantly like two weeks in they said cool we're march we're uh planning our caesar chavez day march ah. and i was like well, what does that look like mm -hmm. there's a picture that one of the papers here took where it's just a thousand union members going over the bridge over on union uh on um pacific highway or no harbor drive mm -hmm. and like that was my first two weeks at work we got a thousand plus people together to march down the streets and honor caesar chavez huh. Which to me was just mind-boggling that this many people were willing to come out for something that mm. wasn't directly them. You had your white people, black people, Filipinos. You had all people represented. They were there in solidarity. And that's when I kind of let that word has stuck with me. And it's been the ethos of a lot of what I do is, right? Mm. You try to do it in solidarity yeah, with somebody. Yeah. You're never better. You're never stronger alone. Mm -hmm. you know, we're all stronger if we come together and collectively fight. So That's right. Again, the not me, us. But what? Okay. So that was the first, that was the first project or activity that you were thrown on. But Oof. like, what was the nature of your. And then okay. it was back to back to back to back to back elections. I had never of worked a single what? city council. Uh -huh. Then especially special election in city council and then a why was state the labor Senate. council involved in in municipal elections so they definitely always have an influence like so uh ask me as a local city worker the blue collar workers right the ones that are actually maintaining our parks that are cleaning mm -hmm. you know our parks up and like maintaining public facilities mm -hmm. those folks uh they want to say on that and so the labor council is where people come together and they review they interview and they assess people's values and say if you get elected and if we choose to support you would you you know fight for working class people uh. and they hold them to that because mm -hmm. they can spend money and try to say hey well you know we don't agree with what you're doing and so we got to call it out mm -hmm. and so it's, you know, a lot of people feel one way or the other about labor's influence on politics, but I can't see it as a negative so long as it's representing working class people. What did you love the most about working at the Labor Council? The people. The people. I have stories of just some of the most random volunteers that would show up and tell me the darndest things. And I just... need a story. <sighs> there was... Preferably uh, one involving porn. God. No, there... You know what? <laughs> I don't know. Legally, I can say some of these. They were off hours. But there was a time... Just... Even just the personalities in these rooms when you were in there, they actually looked at the new guy, which was me at one point, and asked me if I would prank call a politician mm. to find out if their phone number worked. Oh. And I absolutely did it. Of and you we did. absolutely had union members, you know, uh, maybe or maybe not dial that number the next day nice. in, in mass. So, nice. you know, it, it was a lot of shit, <laughs> shit housery, but it was sure. it, it was the first time I ever got to be a part of something bigger than myself. Uh -huh. And that 
that still stays with me. Just that feeling of these people coming together and embracing me as one of their own. Mm. This kid from San Isidro who didn't have an education but mm. cared. Mm -hmm. uh, they really took me in. And that's that. That's why I think labor holds such a soft spot in my heart. And while I'll defend it, it's not fucking perfect. No, of course not. But nothing is. And at the same time, it's still, I think, for like a lot of the people that I came up with who are women of color, men of color, who might not have had this upward mobility they really provided us an opportunity to a career in movement building ah now which is that's i think what's the key right for uh -huh. me why why i hold it so dear ah now was that what like did you if this this you said this was your first time ever getting a salary like did you think that you were rich oh absolutely i went how much were like, you making i was making oh all of thirty four thousand dollars a year Woo! i was balling out of control you didn't even understand i went to like a candy store that i was like when i was a kid and i just went back and i bought bags of everything like, <laughs> dude was like you oh you're having a pinata i shook my head like yeah, yeah that's sure. it a pinata yeah that's, yeah that's it but that was what kids like me you know i was i'm very much still man child but uh that, but that, that's, like that's, the, that's the baller shit that i was able to do back then when uh, my paycheck had a couple zeros I was like, so what? you thought you like arrived oh yeah at 34 and, you know and this is i think part of like bigger just aside from sure. the humor of it is that it's part of the burden where i feel like you know i have this upward mobility that was provided to me by just getting my foot in the door you felt upwardly mobile because for the first time because huh. you're like oh shit like there's paths for me to follow I see, I see. it was the first time anybody laid out any options for me I see. because you see oh hey you know what if you work hard you can do this this and the other uh -huh. i never got that in school where someone was like hey you know what you should really try is I this I, see. I knew i was good at this mm -hmm. i was good at talking to people and connecting with people mm -hmm. and then like you know uh that, that is like by far i think the skill that i would say is just the most vital for me mm -hmm. surviving uh -huh. as a kid as a single child right a yeah. single uh, child. mother child yeah only child uh it was a survival skill, but at the end, it is my strongest skill because I am empathetic to people. I see where they're coming from. Mm. I, I try to listen. So I got you. Now, so you were just turned out, had your entire little cherry popped uh, with the labor council. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> Sleeping in hallways, 6 a.m., lit drops. You mm. know, it was You were just worst. in it. Oh, Ball, yeah, yeah. Ballsy, I'm Ball's sorry. If, uh, no, if, that's if not we can. Please. No, no, it is just, that's it paints correct. the picture that was appropriate. That's correct. Uh, it was just, you know, but it was an all in and it, uh, it's still kind of crazy to be doing it again in some certain respects in mm -hmm. certain politics. Now that I'm older and wiser mm -hmm. to, you know, be so dedicated to something feels really nice. And again, yeah. when you're not alone, yeah, because yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. asleep alone in that hallway, there was no. five of us That's right. asleep and there was, you know, organizers that were showing up because this is the right thing. Dudes that look like me, mm -hmm. iron workers who were still like mentors to me who nice. were like, you know, guys that didn't know much about politics, but they knew that they fought for their union. That's right. And it, they, it was like blindly, like if you were in a gang, we're just like, we rep our set, <laughs> but we know our values. Sure. So we here. Sure. Uh, and that level of just solidarity commitment was just, it was transformational for me again, to be brought into something and nice. accepted so openly. Mm -hmm. And then just instantly bonded all these people for life. I'm sure. just like, this is the shit. This mm. is cool. Movement building is the shit. And then that last piece of the puzzle to fall was Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, which is where I then went. Uh, Ooh, I got the opportunity. She became, because of all the shifting with... Uh, she got a chance to leave labor and not leave labor, but yeah. a seat opened up and she was a secretary treasurer of the labor council. Very mm. respected and known as a fighter here. Yeah. She ran for assembly and she won 72%. Nice. We like, yeah. Not even so, close. No. And she, you went to go work for we her. We blew that out the water. I okay. was on her campaign and, mm. you know, I, I am fiercely loyal to her. She is a mentor for sure. Sure. Uh, and again, someone that really showed me how to fight and made me feel like I could do this. Mm, mm, mm. Um, it, you know, in spite of whatever insecurities or whatever things I felt I was lacking, she said, get your ass here and let's yeah, do it. Let's and, go. you know, 
right into the fire. Uh, okay. But so that was my foray into then government. Mm. And then, you know, taking a, a You were a, a formal member of her staff. Yeah. So I became okay. a member of her state assembly staff. Mm -hmm. And that was just an interesting experience because it shifted from like so much campaigning and organizing mm -hmm. to... Uh, to then shifting to like serving people, like showing up with certificates, making people feel honored and like, you know, the the, the what sometimes viewed as like the window dressing of politics. Uh -huh. But what I also really just enjoyed was getting to know more people from the community and seeing this how community we could help still. Them. Yeah. Okay, oh, okay. I still I live in the 80s still. Mm. I, I had the pleasure of repping the areas that I grew up in and mm. where I live now. Mm. Um, and those those it meant points of pride for this kid without, you know, a lot of sometimes felt like credentials mm -hmm. walking into these rooms and saying, I'm here on behalf of you. Do you, you know? think that do you think that for someone do you think that because of uh, the political bent of the organi organizations and people that you uh, worked with and for because uh, they weren't, you know, like I pres I presume she's not a moderate like I because they weren't like moderate or conservative that that leaves people more open minded to someone who isn't credential. You understand what I'm saying? Like you oh, know, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of yeah. No, I think uh, there was more of an acceptance of people like me who mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. a lot of organizers and labor mm -hmm. don't have those degrees. They right. fought their way up from rank and file yep. at their union. Yep. They were they were meat cutters. Yep. Then they became organizers at UFCW and mm -hmm. now they're running stuff. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Like. Those were things that happened frequently in the yeah. labor movement. People said, I, I'm taking interest in the political side. And then they're like, holy shit, hmm. we got people to do this. Yeah. We can make things happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was a, a big shift for me to kind of go from that kind of like that collective thought to now being like, no, you're already in. So now just do a good job representing. Mm -hmm. Right. That was an immense point of pride for me to work in those communities where mm -hmm. I was raised. Gotcha. Like, you know, those were the neighborhoods literally where my mom used to leave me during the summers at my aunt's house in Logan Heights. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we would go home to San Isidro mm -hmm. and then, you know, we would represent the areas in National City where I went to elementary school because mm -hmm. we lived there as well. Do you have a particular memory of something super lame that you had to do when like lame and like just like, oh, what are we are we do we really have to like give the Girl Scouts a certificate of like like cookie oh, fanaticism yeah, no, you know what, what I mean like what's what was so, yeah I mean there was a lot of that you, you grin your teeth and everything but like uh, <laughs> but you know it it made people feel good so I never felt bad about that stuff sure. it's just having to shit there and like you can't talk back when a constituent is just reaming into you that's pretty so lame. you had you had face to face like you had to deal with constituents like, oh yeah so calls, you had like the, the, the kooky conservatives that will call in and be like you guys fucking suck and mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell you why and you couldn't really hang up on them because they're just gonna keep calling back and then so uh -huh. you hung up on him. Yeah. Your boss is like, why'd you hang up on him? You sure. know? Uh, but like, yeah, having to listen to some of the really ignorant shit out there and mm. people thinking that they can get away with some of this stuff mm. and you're not really being in a position to call it out because mm. then you're the ones that wrote back the angry email uh, and you know, uh -huh. you're going to get blasted for that. Yeah. Uh, but like the first day my boss got elected, someone told her she looked like a streetwalker via comment. They went Excuse online. Me? They went online 20 minutes after the inauguration, uh -huh. looked her website up, said, contact me. Great. I'm going to tell her she looked like a streetwalker. Wow. Yeah. A woman of power. This, you know, very incredible woman. That woman said, I'm an HR professional and you look like a streetwalker. Please have some dignity. Wow. Because she wore open-toed shoes. Get the, come on. So what I'm saying, yeah. Like, <laughs> come it's, on. And I've been blessed. Bernie is one of the few male candidates. Wait, wait, wait. Is it just for. me? Now, this doesn't make it right, but she had open-toed shoes and it doesn't like, is she like shapely? And you know how some people just like, 
Oh no, Lorena yeah. only wears heels, and uh, you know sure. she is the person that pulls it off. If you ever sure, look sure, her sure. up, so she's just like a nice looking woman. But this person decided to say like, oh, there she's was a nothing wrong with her outfit. She sure. looked fantastic. Okay. She, she wasn't in like a body she looked suit. Like a, a woman of power sure. wearing a very respectable outfit. But you look but like a open toed shoes was wow. the line. Get the fuck her, her out of here. Her outfit was fine. It was the toes being seen that did it. Got sweaty toes, lady. But that's the shit that I'm like, we couldn't reply. <laughs> we couldn't reply to that. What am sure. I going to be like, ma'am? Ma'am, no, actually, right? You were like, what the fuck? say to that so no yeah like uh like do better yeah i don't know so that's the shit that was really hard is just Uh, seeing how many people feel in america that they can just take free shots because you're a public figure and you know it that it comes with the territory but that shit is incredibly infuriating for someone like i'm the guy if i get flipped off i'm gonna speed my car so i can just get the last flip off like the last bird that that's just how petty i am (laughs) but like you can't do that in politics, and no. it's it's for the betterment of the discourse that you don't engage with this. Did you ever get close to having to be like put in timeout because you popped off at somebody the wrong way? Absolutely. Ooh, I need many times. No, yeah. it was just like defending people, like just calling that shit out, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Hey, it's not worth the headache." Sometimes sure. that like these people are just looking for the reaction. I see. I see. And so you don't know, engaging. I stopped commenting on political engagement on social media a good five years ago. Even if it's not related to someone that you work for. And, and even when I pull myself out of character and comment on anything, I instantly regret it because people come to these things with so many preconceived notions uh, and already made up minds. Uh, I might as well go talk to a wall because uh, it's nothing going to change. It's people just sure. getting this gratification of like, haha, I stood for what I believed in on social media where nobody gives a shit. Mm. Like, well, it influences people. Unfortunately, uh, people that actually doing the work don't give shit in yeah. the sense of like, this isn't real life, but people Hello. get influenced by it so much. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It's like the discourse now happens there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it only serves to deeper entrench us. These people yeah. that are conservative that go fight people, yeah. they get attacked by people calling out their ignorance yeah. and they're like, see, they're against us. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. it just validates this bullshit cycle of people arguing on issues that don't fucking matter. And in an arena that has zero effect on anything happening. Right. And, and real yeah. life. And then it does have real consequences. That's we correct. saw with Trump and that's yeah. the fucking scary part is mm-hmm. that's the part, that's the place we're at in our country mm-hmm. that we're still trying to emerge from. And like, sure. it's, it's, it's shitty. And that's why the brand of politics Bernie talked about was so fucking appealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, working in government and politics, like going further than from the, you know, the state assembly, I worked the camp pain in bakersfield where i met Ooh. some of the california team hmm. and again i got to see a different community that was like the haves and the have nots uh-huh. there's parts of bakersfield mm-hmm. like, oh shit these oil people have good money they yeah. live in nice houses you go to east bakersfield oh my god yeah that is not you're literally on the other side of the tracks That's and it's right. the amount of underfunding and the amount of just disparity between yeah. those two communities mm. it's it's appalling and so i got to see it just on another level that this is systemic this isn't just a san diego thing this isn't it's just America thing. Yeah, that's right. And that's, again, another one of those where it's just like by attrition. I started learning like, holy shit, like we got some real inequities here. <laughs> and, you know, so I worked one of those campaigns where I ended up meeting a lot of what became the California Bernie staff. Huh. And we maintained those friendships. Wait, again, wait, what was, election? What, what so it was a special election. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, it was a, a re-election for an assembly member out in the valley. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us were just kind of newer to campaigns, right? It was well, wait, so this was you you hopped on that one after being working for the state assembly woman. So while I was working there, I took a break. I was uh Ooh. I was I was offered the opportunity to go say, Hey, they need someone that knows campaigns. You did the last two years okay. of it. Do you so you were go? starting to become an OG, a campaigning OG campaigning or organizing I'm still OG. faking it till I'm making it. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of the first chances I got to say, Hey, go try your skills out somewhere else, see okay. if it applies. And it was incredibly intimidating. I wasn't as it wasn't forceful. In- was it intimidating because of the different kind of uh political and social dynamics in Bakersfield than in San Diego? You know, I actually say it was a little bit weird just on a personal level because I 
slowly ingratiating myself to the people at work here. And it was such a fast pace over there where it's like, come learn and do it quick. Yeah, yeah. Or I was so scared because I didn't know anybody. Uh -uh. And that actually at the age of 25 or something was the first time I'd ever been away from home. Huh. And to Bakersfield. And I, I was, you know, sure. 24, 5, 6, whatever I was then. Mm -hmm. Mid-20s, that was one of the first times I'd ever left the comfort of San Diego. Mm. Everything I know where everything is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. it was the first time going somewhere. So, it was a challenge for me to get, like, out of my shell. But, you know, I, I worked as hard as I could at that time. Sure. And, you know, I made some really good bonds with a lot of people that still are, you know, part of my existence now, huh. luckily. Did you guys win that campaign? We did. We did. Again, yes. we did a pretty good job on that one. Mm -hmm. And then we all went back to our respective cities and homes and uh -huh. maintained friendships. Mm -hmm. And in about 2016, I started then uh, going on, on another campaign. I elected the first Latina. I was a campaign manager for the first Latina in about 27. No, well, the first Latina ever, but the first Democrat in 27 years to be the city attorney. Mm -hmm. Woman of color, Latina, Mara Elliott. Mm -hmm. She's a friend, definitely. Um, and after that campaign... I went back to working. Uh, I went to work at a nonprofit where we were actually mm -hmm. working on the minimum wage enforcement mm -hmm. that for that minimum wage ordinance that we, labor had passed years. Why before. did you need? Why did a nonprofit have to work on enforcing a law that was on the books? So they had to actually call it out because San Diego got creative, like the restaurant association and folks actually took to craftily saying that their prices were increasing, uh -huh. but they added this little footnote that said the reason why we're taxing this is because we have to comply with government mandates, which meant hey you got to pay your workers what you have to pay them yeah and they said well we're complying with what the government is telling us uh -huh. no you're doing the right fucking thing and paying them the minimum wage sure wait, but wait, they framed wait, wait, it wait, wait. I'm, I'm, so they would they would put like a 3.5 percent tax on people's bills uh -huh. and nobody was calling it out because these restaurants were like well fuck it they made us pay more money we're gonna make people pay more money so the restaurants weren't actually they weren't willing to take uh that labor cost they weren't they weren't willing to absorb or take that hit so they just foisted it onto the patrons and then also it was more of a political stint because oh. they could have baked it in and make the pizza 50 cents more yeah yeah yeah. right but no they decided to make a point to say we're going to put a footnote on our menus to say that government oh. is forcing us to charge you more money to start to try and like uh engender some uh some resentment yeah, for yeah, like yeah. oh wow yeah. look at these people yeah. now the bill's being passed on to me mm -hmm. well no no it no. cut into their profits and like, we don't like that yeah. we're gonna make you pay for it wow I got so you, you know that was the level of enforcement mm -hmm. these restaurants were doing it all over and nobody mm -hmm. was calling it out so mm -hmm. we try to bring attention to that mm -hmm. try to bring fact to the attention to the fact that the city was super underfunded when it came to positions to enforce these laws uh -huh. so you know it's it was just this like this back and forth where even if you got a law passed it was like well if nobody's there to enforce it you know what good is it yeah so, that's right so it was a lot of that kind of work a lot of coalition work i got to work with a lot of different partners at that nonprofit. i mm -hmm. i learned a lot there made some good friends and why mentors. did you want to make the jump to a nonprofit out of uh state it was government? again one of those things i think where you know like part of politics or whatever sometimes you got to leave some places to you know learn more and, and, grow. and, and grow your skill yeah, like yeah. what would be somebody's major is what now i got to go learn how nonprofit works by you know how did you how would you describe your growth at the nonprofit after after stints at the labor board and uh, in government and on campaign work. Like it was just totally different because again, you're somewhere in the middle now of, you know, you have funders and you have things to make good on and like the projects that you take on, you got to deliver. Yeah. And then that comes with the fact that some of your funders are labor, which is great because mm -hmm. they we were aligned with what they were fighting for. So then, you know, you have still then that dynamic of labor and their power. Yep. And then now you're talking about influencing it directly with lawmakers. Uh, so it was that nexus of what I'd been doing. So uh -huh. that's why it was so appealing. I see. I had been on all sides of that. I knew the staffers that were going to and asking them for mm -hmm. things. Now they're friends, mm -hmm. you know, because I was a staffer yeah, and yeah. all that. So it really was the first time I got to, like, try my skills out on my own where I was just like, you know, like 
you go do this. You sneak or gotcha. swim. It was not perfect. It was bumpy. And it was one of those really challenging, sure. affirming experiences. But, you know, I don't regret it. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was formative to where I got now. By the way, I still maintain that there's a secret black ancestor in the not so distant past of Marco's family. <laughs> Cause mm, my brother was looking real familiar when we sat down and spoke. <laughs> Tune in tomorrow where we get to hear more about the things he encountered as he's deepened his political involvement and about how his current role as staff in the San Diego City Council has him working round the clock to step up and do the hard work of taking in unaccompanied minors currently being warehoused in ICE facilities. See you tomorrow. <laughs>